Hello, friends. You're listening to Hey Man, the advice podcast for men. I'm Avi Klein. I'm Sam Graham Felson. I'm a therapist. Sam's a novelist. Each week, we answer one of your questions, and hopefully, we get a few of our own questions answered as well. Our guest this week is Andrew Leland. I knew Andrew back when we went to college together, and we even played in a band together for about a month. But I haven't seen him in over 10 years. Not long after he quit my band, Andrew dropped out to help start The Believer at McSweeney's, and he went on to become the host of their podcast, The Organist. He's also been slowly going blind since he was 18 years old. We talked to him about blindness and the way it has changed the way he moves and is received in the world. In the second half, he helps us give advice to a college student who isn't sure what he should do about a friend who seems like she wants to be more than friends. Enjoy. The condition I have, it's called RP, or retinitis pigmentosa, is super slow. I mean, actually, it's it's different for everybody, but I have what I've understand is a kind of classic version of it, which is that as a teenager, you notice night blindness. So I would sort of be in high school, like trying to keep up with my friends, like running around at night and just be having a lot more trouble. And then, um, very gradual decline through my twenties. And, and the, when I was diagnosed, the doctor said, you know, as you approach middle age, that's when it'll accelerate. Mm. Um, so for all my twenties, it was like, uh, it was like, you know, like the same way that in your 20s, you're like, I guess I'll have kids someday or like have a baby, but uh, or have a wife or something. But it didn't really feel like a pressing issue. Right. And uh, it's only really in the last couple of years that it's become real feeling in that way. And did, that, that I've started writing about it as a result of that. Did it affect your social life, like having a hard time going out at night when you were younger? Like, um, I mean, yeah, I like I just I like the number of times I said. I have severe night blindness. We wrote a song about you called Night Blindness. Oh, I remember that. David Copperfuck, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah, that's... Thank you for reminding me of that. Uh, that's awesome. I mean, you know, and I have this other disease, which is that everything I say, I sound like I'm being sarcastic, even uh, when me, I'm not. I think I have that one, too. I don't know what it's called, but uh, <laughs> it's called, like, contemporary person syndrome uh, or, like, modernity syndrome. Uh <laughs> But, but, but so I would say it and people would like think I was joking. Ironitis. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) Uh, And so then only occasionally would they be like, oh wait, maybe he wasn't joking. And um, yeah, it was hard to, I mean, that's so socially, that was the most difficult part was sort of trying to communicate to people. And that's the thing that um, using a cane has really been great for is that it just like ends that conversation because they're, I mean, it starts a different one, which is equal, sort of annoying. It raises its own set of problems. The cane does, but at the very least it, it, it's people buy it. And what are like, the problems? Well, yeah. yeah. Well, the, the, the weird place that I'm in now is that, you know, so I have, I'm legally blind. I have severe tunnel vision. So now it affects me, you know, for a while it was only affecting me at night and then gradually over the, like the next whatever, 20, uh, 15 years, um, it started to affect me during the day too. So like right now, you know, if I'm looking at that glass on the table, I can't see either of you. It's just like very, Mm. very narrow. Um, But still like walking down uh, Fifth Avenue outside, you know, I'm swiping my cane and like people, people see blindness as a binary. And so they see guy with cane and I'm probably wearing my sunglasses. And so like totally blind, but then they might, you know, if they're paying attention, which luckily most people aren't, but you know, they see me like glance up and there's no audible cue for the, the light changing. I mean, except for the traffic, but like I see right when it turns to a, a walk sign and I walk and then somebody might be like, 
huh? And I've got, you know, and I'm constantly in my head, like, are people thinking I'm a fraud? And it, it causes confusion because it's this ambiguous thing. Like I have this, this signifier of blindness and yet I also clearly can see something. Do people ever try to just like grab your elbow and be like, let me help you, sir. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's like the bane of blind people's existence. And I, th- and I think that just increases the more, m- more blind I get, I think, because then people will see more signs of helplessness, you know, a helplessness is the wrong word, but you know, more signs perceived that, like, to helplessness. I yeah, think. exactly. Yeah. Cause it's, cause that's the thing is like, you're not helpless, but you're just, um, you know, you're, you're, you're trying to get your bearings, your or you're, you're like doing a orientation. Of, yeah. Is it, is it the bane because it's actually actively unhelpful or just cause it's embarrassing? The, the people grabbing you. Yeah. It's a violation of space. I yeah. mean, like imagine if uh, blind or not, like if somebody Someone grabbed you on the you. street, yeah. Yeah. you're like, get the fuck off me. Like, what do you, don't touch me. Even if they're trying to help, like, no, that's not a thing that our society thinks is okay. What happens if somebody asks, can I, can I help you? That's how you do it. That's good. Then I can say, no, thank you. Mm -hmm. Um, And I always say, no, thank you, because I don't need help yet. (laughs) Uh, And I might not, you know, sometimes I will, but you know, I'll ask for it or, but yeah, that's how you do it. You say, I I was walking into a, a mall in Toronto recently and a woman said, can I offer you some help? And I was like, no, I'm good. And then she said, I learned that that's the way you're supposed to do it. <laughs> and I was a like, plus. right on, you did great. <laughs> you passed the test. Yeah. Um, but it's, I think, um, I mean, I'm curious about what, what you've been writing about it. Um, uh, obviously, there are, there are a million things to say about it. I mean, the, thing, the, the, the first thing that was sh- is striking to me just hearing you talking about it is um, <clears throat> the difference between something like this happening gradually and suddenly. Yeah. And, um, and in a way, I mean, both are incredibly hard, but in a way I wonder if, do you, do you ever wonder what it would have been like if it had been sudden versus gradual, how psychologically, how, how that might've been different? Yeah. Um, that's huge. I, I, I don't know if I think about that exact question, but I do think a lot about like when I will feel blind, Mm. um, I don't know if this is too heady, but I've read about this. There's like this famous paradox in Greek philosophy, the the paradox of the heap, where the idea is like, if I have a heap of sand and I remove like one grain, is it still a heap? Like, yes. You know, if I remove 10 grains, yes, it's still a heap. But then at what point, like how many grains of sand do there need to be left for it to be a heap? And it's kind of like that with vision where I'm like, you know, when I was diagnosed, I had in no way did I think I was blind. I could drive at night. Then at a certain point, like I stopped driving at night. Then I stopped driving during the day. Then I stopped riding a bike. Then I started using a cane. Like now I'm just at the point where reading like regular print is a pain in the ass. Like I can still do it, but like it's hard. And then soon like only large print, you know, at what point are any of those things blindness? And so when you talk about like people who are suddenly blinded, I even, you know, I could even raise the question in response, like how blind are they suddenly blinded you know are they just are they suddenly down to what i have now or are they suddenly you know there's a it's a tiny fraction i don't remember the number of people who are blind who are actually have no light perception whatsoever Mm. um and i and it's been interesting you know i've been right as i've been writing more about it i've been talking to more and more blind people and one thing i've heard that i found so interesting is that um like there's a guy who has the same condition i have um he's way farther along than i am he's effectively blind like he can't read anything he can but he can still see some light perception but he said when he was kind of in that transition phase um 
at a certain point, he just had to sort of let go of the residual vision that he had. And like, he was still wearing glasses and he could still like, if he really had to like take a photo of something and like blow it up really big on his phone and hold his phone at arm's length and be like, I can see what that looks like. But at a certain point he was like, why am I doing this to myself? And just like stopped wearing his glasses. Mm -hmm. And it was so liberating to him. Mm. And so blindness really, even at the extremes where you would just say to somebody like, you know, at that point, I think there's no question that that person is blind, but it's still a continuum and it's still the spectrum that has to kind of be navigated. And, and, and it, and it's about, you're making the decision of in some ways about like how blind you are. You know, I was curious, I'm curious about how you, what this is like with your son and like how you engage about it and just what it's like for you. Like, I don't know, not, I don't have to go too far into this, but like, like I basically like catch up on your life on Instagram, like when I go on it. And so like, I see your, your sweet son mm -hmm. and like, and I, and then I see your posts about you losing your sight. And, mm -hmm. and, and so like, for me, it's very present, like to see his face and then think about like mm. what that's going to be like for you. Yeah. You yeah. know what I'm getting at? And like, yeah, I mean, it's like, it's funny like as I've been writing more about it and like, you know, I'm writing a book now and like thinking about like the weird uh, phenomenon of like selling my own story. Cause and it is something that people are really interested in. Like, that's the question that I feel like, mm. um, I mean, to put it in like the crassest terms, like I feel like that's why I'm being paid to write about it is because like people are interested in the, that very sad idea of like losing your son's face, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and like obviously behind like the commercial idea there, there is something there. Like it is like a sort of a poignant idea. I don't like, I don't know why that is like the most ultimate poignant thing. Why do you think it's I'm so poignant? I'm thinking about it. Why is that so poignant? I guess, well, there's something about the like frozen in timeness of it when mm -hmm. I imagine what it might be like. Yeah. That like at some point you will relate to your son like, at the age in which you last saw him is like right. one thought that I have in right. my head. Right. Right. And then, and then I think also there's something about it that distills the sense of loss. Right. Yeah. That yeah. is probably what's on people's minds. I mean, this just like to pull back a second. I mean, the largest thing I've been thinking about and struggling with is the tension between acknowledging it as a loss. Yeah. Because it, it's like, you just, I'm bullshitting you if I, try to say it's not a loss, but also acknowledging that it it's opening doors and it's, yeah. and it's really interesting, like philosophically interesting. It's been to sound like uh, kind of like half jokingly lean into the ridiculous of it. Like it's a great career move, <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know? So like, but and like and trying to like thread the needle between those two poles, cause they're both real and they're both present. It's, you know, so we had a, a veteran on a couple of weeks ago who um, was a few feet away, yards away from uh, an explosion that killed uh, several people, including somebody who was friends with. And, um, <clears throat> and we were talking a little bit with him about just like the difficulty of civilians talking to veterans and that disconnect and just the awkwardness of not knowing what kinds of questions are appropriate or inappropriate. And it was striking me like, cause, cause on the one hand, I wonder like, is it inappropriate to ask him how painful it is? On the other hand, isn't it even more inappropriate to ask him to talk about like how liberating it must be? But of course I am interested in like the liberating aspects too, or maybe liberating is, is a corny word, but the, 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 
the ways in which it's expanded life, mm. um, you know, um, mm. mm-hmm. and, 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 you know, one of the things that, um, that I'm always just so curious about is like, um, when, when you, when your options get limited it, for, there's so many examples that I've read about or people I've met where it's like when their options get limited, somehow that limitation ends up prompting them to, to actually live a much more expansive yeah. life. Right. Yeah, I think that's really true. I mean, like the thing about my son, like I've been teaching myself Braille and he's just fascinated by it in a way that, you know, and then like, and he's really bright and like curious about what my wife and I are up to in a way that I find really cute, but also like powerful. Like he's actually keeping tabs on us and thinking deeply about what we're spending our lives doing. Mm -hmm. And it's really, I feel so good sharing the stuff I'm learning about disability and blindness with him like it feels like exactly the right thing to be sharing with a seven-year-old and Mm -hmm. like just on like the fun level like braille as a code is just like made for a seven-year-old's brain they're just like so psyched about it but also just like all kinds of stuff like i'll share with him like stuff about a deaf-blind poet i've been researching you know and he's like so curious about it and then he'll just throw out his own ideas about like oh well that deafblind poet like wouldn't even doesn't call him a deafblind poet but you know what i'm saying like you know he'll like make observations that are clearly like he's thinking about this stuff so you know yeah. that kind of stuff makes me feel like it's good for him too yeah and uh you know certainly there's like painful parts of it but the overwhelming feeling is one of like it's a it's a it's an interesting good thing that we're sharing together and like maybe yeah lost doesn't seem like quite the right word because there's it's different for sure. Like it sounds like there's things that, that are, are lost. And then there are things that are sort of augmented or replaced or, or changed. Yeah. I mean like the big kind of like the big political question in terms of disability or one of the big ones is, is about access and accessibility and like, like, like the question of like, um, are textbooks accessible to blind students Mm -hmm. or, um, or like uh, ballots are accessible to blind voters. Um, but like, you know, you can also kind of think about accessibility on a more emotional level, like, okay, so I'm going to lose what my son looks like, but like what will be accessible mm-hmm. of my son? And the answer is like all of him. Like I may not know that he shaved or like <laughs> I won't be able to like see like the baby that I remember in his adult face, but like, and that's like a poignant thing, but when you actually think about the totality of like your relationship with a loved one, it's not actually that big of a thing. I don't think like, I think the big thing is your relationship with them and yeah. that your relationship with them has nothing to do with whether or not you can like recognize that they still look like the person you love. Another thing that occurs to me is like, you have to have conversations with your son about things that are hard for you, I would imagine, or just like how you're figuring out how to, how to navigate this. Cause he's watching you figure it out in mm-hmm. real time. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I don't like my daughters don't have necessarily that sense of me in that way. Like I'm like, they just see me as like a, a together adult, you know what I mean? Like I don't have to share with them. Like what's, what's a struggle for me. I'm just wondering if, am I, am I making assumptions about what it's like? That's just an interesting shift in a relationship. You know what I mean? I would, I would push back against that. Like, I don't know how i mean i i believe you that you're a together adult oh i i'm but, not they just think i am <laughs> but but i mean my, my i hope my, they're not listening to the show they're gonna find <laughs> out you're not yeah but like my feeling is like even if i didn't have a degenerative retinal condition and i was just a dude yeah like he would still witness like 
my wife and I arguing, yeah. or like me coming home in a shitty mood and like snapping at him when I didn't mean to. And I think like, what I, no, I, I absolutely agree with that. I think what I mean is it's like, there's a way, there's a way that a lot of those exchanges are like left unprocessed, you know, which is like, Oh, like, like you see your parent in a shitty mood. Like I'm just going to give them space or something like that, but this doesn't go away. And so it's like kind of like continuously open for discussion. It seems to me. It actually does go away though. That's the thing. Mm. Like I'm not, I'm, I mean, I think about it a hell of a lot. And now that I'm writing a book about it, I think about it like double hell of a lot. Yeah. But, <laughs> but like anything, like if you broke your leg yeah. and you were so pissed about it and you were on crutches all day, there would still be many hours of the day that you weren't thinking about your broken leg. Yeah. You know, like you'd be watching TV, you'd be working, you'd be cooking, like, you know, it gets in the way and then you really think about it or like you force yourself to think about it because you're thinking about it. Yeah. But it's not constant. Yeah. And like there, and I think there are days that go by that I barely notice it. And there are days that go by that he barely notices it too. Uh-huh. So I think I don't think that's right. I think mm-hmm. I think you know, and I, and, I, and 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 in reading and blind people's accounts and talking to people, that's a common blind experience. Like a blind person isn't always blind in their own mind, and I think that's true of disability and probably of identity. Period. Like you're not always like I'm Jewish, yeah. and I frequently think about being Jewish, but I'm not Jewish twenty four seven. You know, yeah, yeah. like there are t- and the same thing probably you could say about gender, right? Like. There are times when I'm very much a dude and there are times when I'm just like a disembodied, uh, extremely hungry ghost. <laughs> by, by the way, since, since this is putatively a show of masculinity or maybe maybe um, uh, a better way to put it is that we're um, uh, sort of secretly a show about masculinity. Uh, we're just an advice show for men. Uh, but uh, but but how did how did having like a learning that that you have a disability kind of influence your feelings about masculine like your own masculinity yeah that's a hard one um because i think it did like throw me back against like ideas about masculinity that i hadn't totally considered that like i had but i hadn't really reflected on um like what well like i always think i always frame it in terms of uh, AMC's The Walking Dead, uh, because I could call it like a kind of like a funny shorthand with my wife, like a Walking Dead scenario, where it's just like we look out the window one morning and there are zombies flooding our block, mm-hmm. and like I have this sense of myself as a man that like mm. I'm gonna be the one who grabs the baseball bat from behind the closet door totally. and just starts slamming them. And as a blind person, like my accuracy on slamming zombies <laughs> isn't gonna be as good. Uh, <laughs> And that's like ridiculously abstract and it doesn't often, you know, we haven't had very many Walking Dead scenarios, thankfully, but that's still something that I think about. And, um, and that's something that she, my wife has had to deal with too. I mean, we're still, that's a conversation that we're still kind of having and that I'm still thinking about. So I don't know if I can speak about it too much about like how she feels about it, but I think we're one thing I can say is that we're both adapting to it. Mm-hmm. And it's challenging too, because unlike if I was in a car accident and like suddenly lost my sight, you know, like we're both sort of very gradually adapting to it. And it's sort of this moving target where like, as I get less and less vision, um, it changes the dynamic. And then that changes sort of how we, how we both deal with it. And part of that has to do with masculinity and part of it's just like about any relationship. Sure. It is funny though that the first <clears throat> the first thing that comes I mean it's not funny it's it is what it is but the first thing that comes to mind is 
is like the ability to fight. Yeah. Right. And because we talk a lot about fighting on the show. And um, and it's funny, though, because like I, I, I talk about the fact that I've never been in a in a fight in my whole life. But I still think about like the question of like, could I fight if I needed to? And um, I mean, I imagine I don't know if you've researched this, but I imagine that there are plenty of blind people who do martial arts and things like that. Right. I'm not too proud to. <laughs> What? Too proud to admit? How do you say it? Let me start that one over. I will admit to you, gentlemen, that I've recently begun taking Brazilian jiu-jitsu. I was oh, going to ask if you were taking ju- if you if people took jiu-jitsu. I mean, like, that seems like one that Brazilian jiu-jitsu. I think yeah. that's on our list of things we both want to do. So tell us about it. Uh, just... I mean, I, you know, I actually I think I Googled like blind guy sports because I used to run long distances and I really liked it. And I would like do marathons. And then at a certain point, I was like, I'm going to just break my knee because like even if even on like a trail that's like straight where there's no crossings or anything. I just like, I would be like, whoa, there was a jogger that I had no idea was there until I was like an inch from her. And so I just could see a disaster coming. So I stopped jogging and I, and I, and like, I, you know, I go on the elliptical, but I find it depressing just to be on the elliptical. And I will say that like, I don't want to go into the details of like what inspired me to do this, but basically like there was like a thing that stressed me out that I was like, I wish I had the ability to like defend myself. Mm. Um, and, and Can we so get the, a little detail? <laughs> uh, uh, a mentally ill friend. Oh, and yeah. um, is that okay? is mentally ill the way you say that? I don't know. I Somebody was okay. mentally ill and scared, I was even going to ask you if the, if blind is the right word. To, we'll get back to that. Yeah, yeah blind, I do want to ask you about that. Blind's cool. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah, we can talk more about it. Yeah. But um, but yeah, so I like Google blind guy sports, and it was like you know judo and jujitsu are basically once you're in contact, which oftentimes in competition, like you start in contact, you don't really need your eyes. Uh-huh. Um, and so I was like, oh, I'll try that. And I, as a, as a kid, I did a little bit of like kickboxing. And so I was already kind of used what, to that. What's it like? It's intense. Like, yeah. It's really intense because it's about submission. So like the goal is to get the person to tap out, like uh-huh. tap you on the shoulder and be like, I can't breathe, please stop. And it's like, and I've only been doing it for like maybe two months now, like about once a week. And so I was I just thinking it's very hard. It's very hard. But like the strangest thing is like, I don't really, you know, I've practiced a couple of these moves, but then you spar and they're just like, okay, like go for it. And so I was like, I was rolling with this person and I was kind of like, well, there's their neck. And I guess I'll just like lean on their neck. <laughs> you know, but it was like, it was not like I'm going to try like the backwards the Zamba. It was just like, I'm just going to like lean on their neck with my forearm. And I think that'll probably be uncomfortable for them. And then after, and it was actually the guy who was teaching the class. So I felt okay, but I would do it with anybody in the class. Um, and he was like, that felt really uncomfortable. But if you like, you really wanted to submit me, you have to like do this. And then he like did it to me. And I was like, oh yeah, that's <laughs> really bad. So it's, it's strange. Basically uh, you're trying to choke people. Yes. Right? Choke, choke them. And like, you know, there's or arm bars where you like make their arm feel like it's going to get dislocated unless they tap out. Yeah. But it's great workout. What, what's it like to be on the submitting side of something? Because um, that's the thing we're all afraid of, right? That's why we want to kill the zombies is like, I don't want to submit. Right. It's fun. It's really like, I don't know. I like it. And it's strange too, because like, there'll be like a, you know, like they'll like a woman will straddle you and like you, it's like very intimate, close contact. But like it's like one of those things that like, because of the way the social situation is constructed, you're like, cool, let's go. And like, there's, you know, it's not awkward at all. Mm-hmm. Or maybe like, you know, your first class, there's like a second where you're like, this dude has his like ass, like pressed firmly against my face. <laughs> but then like very quickly, you're like, 
that's how this is done and right. just move on. That's another just funny thing about I, I took one um just free class uh and I was just I was struck I did this about a year ago, um, and I was struck like, wow, I haven't like touched another dude's body other than my son. <laughs> yeah. Since I was Is your a son kid, a dude. <laughs> since I was like a kid wrestling. And a male body. Uh-huh. I haven't you know, I haven't like really I mean I've given high fives. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I haven't like held a male body yeah. since I was a kid wrestling. It was like it was yeah. a thing to get to, to to readjust to. Yeah. But in a way I think like what's What's funny about, I mean, you know, we, we don't, we don't talk too much about this, but I think there is kind of like, even among the most enlightened of us, like a kind of latent, not homophobia, but just fear of being seen as gay or whatever. I think it is homophobia. Uh, I guess it, I guess that is, uh, that, it, that counts under the, under the umbrella of homophobia. Yeah. And, and I was thinking like, God, you know, doing jujitsu is a pretty good way to get over that. Like, uh, you know, I have my cool. doubts about that, but I think it's, it is interesting because I, I think like what do they call it that it's just sort of like under the the guise of violence or con like there's a certain contact that's allowed right i guess there is a macho contingent there yeah. like you know I, I usually go on the friday mornings class which is like a little bit the, the demographic is chiller somehow but like if you go on the thursday night class there's like a lot of i you mean i don't want to make stereotypes but yeah like the macho vibes are a lot stronger the thursday nights well if you're all, if you happen to be in northampton that's just that's word to the wise. To go Northam- or not go, depending For people on your who don't tastes. know uh, Western Northampton, that's yeah. where UMass, uh, basically one of the you know the biggest state school in Massachusetts is. So yeah, yeah, but also the college. And a lot of other <laughs> colleges, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, but like there's, you know, it's cool. It's fun too because unlike, I don't know, I don't, again, I'm making generalizations. Like I've done yoga and like the one cool thing about yoga that I've noticed is that, and this is a cliche, but like afterwards I feel like a body awareness that I miss. Like I'll walk into a yoga class feeling like a computer that has like some fat cased around it and I'll leave being like, oh yeah, I have like shoulders Mm -hmm. and a leg. And jujitsu weirdly does the same thing. Mm -hmm. Like I feel, I leave it and I'm just like aware that I have a body in a a way. Um, This is my pet thing and... Uh, but you can delete this later if you really <laughs> want to. But I'm 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 really into meditation. I'm curious. Do you have you ever I'm meditated? I'm gonna start uh, keeping a tally. <laughs> of, I think uh, we could make a meditation drinking game on the show. <laughs> I think you need to have like a little like segment within where all of a sudden we hear chimes and like yeah, okay, exactly. it's time to talk it's about the Grand Felsen meditation hour. Um, do have you tried it? Yeah, my parents met in an ashram, and oh, I was okay. raised more or less with like oh. you know they're both Jewish, but I was like they're Jew booze. They're well, yeah, except there was like not strictly Buddhism for a while, okay. but I've been meditating my whole life. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Oh, interesting. Okay. What kind of meditation do you do? Um, these days when I lived in the Bay area, I went to the San Francisco Zen center uh-huh. a lot. So mostly Zen meditation. Okay. Um, cause I was going to say, I mean the, the whole kind of, um, philosophical point of meditating is learning how to be comfortable with letting go. And in yeah. fact, when I was, I was, I drove here from, uh, Central Mass yesterday and had a long drive and uh, uh, I was listening to um, an interview with um, uh, one of the, one of these prominent meditation teachers who was talking about how basically um, if you if you prepare for death um, when death comes death will be less terrifying or whatever and meditation is a kind of is a kind of form of preparing for death in, in a certain way and. And, um, anyway, I'm just curious, like, has it, um, for, for most meditators, a lot of this shit is pretty abstract. It's like, it's kind of, it's kind of like you're, you're, you're doing it 
with the idea that like if the shit starts to hit the fan, you will be like a calmer person or, you know, it's kind of like like uh, sanity insurance or something. And now that now that you're going through like a very dramatic change where you are going where you are in the process of letting go of stuff, has it been effective? Has it does meditation work? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Am I wasting the shit out of my time, basically? Yeah. (laughs) No. I mean, yeah, it's it's helped a lot, I would say, Um, both philosophically and I think in like the moment to moment. Like, you know, because I have like, you know, there's a thing where if I have a cold and I'm really stuffed up in my nose and then often if you have a cold, I'm sure you've experienced this where your like ears get stuffed up. Mm -hmm. So you kind of like hear less well. Yeah. Yeah. and I started reading this book. I had this experience where I was reading this book about, uh, it's called Touching the Rock, and it's by this this theologian, John Hull, who wrote it. He kept these cassette diaries in the 80s as he went blind, and he went blind pretty quickly. Um, it was like gradually for a lot of his life, and then it just like kind of fell off a cliff over the course of like a year. And and it's this, it's like the scariest book I've ever read. It's basically like Stephen King for people who are going blind. Mm. It's just like he's so clear and precise about like everything that you would imagine being terrifying about it. And I had this experience where I was like reading that book and then like would wake up in the middle of the night with just like my ears ringing and plugged and like couldn't breathe. And like, because I have such severe night blindness, there's just like, I couldn't see a thing. And it was like the full panic attack of like, ah. And I think in moments like that, having access to like, oh yeah, there is still a breath and like a body and like I can like let go and just return to that until I return to you know that and then the other part of it is like also the idea of like we were kind of getting at before like it's a loss but also like loss in and of itself isn't a thing to be feared or run away from like i love i've like a quote it too much now where i almost like can't say it out loud but <laughs> um like my patron saint is is borges the argentinian writer who went blind um like a, i think like in his early 40s and he wrote he has this really really amazing uh essay that originally he gave as a lecture on blindness and he says something like you know blindness for me hasn't been a total misfortune it's like one of the styles of it's a style of living essentially and i feel like that connects to what i understand about meditation and like kind of philosophy behind buddhism is like there's loss and there's there's all these things but it's like you it's a style of living it's like it's 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 incorporated in life and you need to sort of like the best way to understand it and to use it and approach it is just to accept it as a feature of life rather than like a thing that must be explained or eradicated right. in that way. Yeah. We should probably get to uh, our advice question, but are there, is there anything else you wanted to, we're going to make an abrupt shift. I, this is, that's a funny question. I'm curious about it. We can take as much time with it as we want. Um, it's funny. It's not, it's a good question. I just think it's funny. Like it has nothing to do with what we talked about. (laughs) You never know. You never know. Things have a fine, have a way of, uh, being woven together. Hey man, I'm a 19 year old college student. And recently I've been really enjoying the relationship that I have with one of my female friends. We've been mutually supporting. uh, We've been, we have been very mutually supporting of our respective dating lives recently and and supporting in other aspects of our lives as well. It feels like a very healthy dynamic that we have. However, I'm worried that she may have more feelings of of friendship for me at this point. She recently sent me a song, which in context seemed like a confession. I've really enjoyed our friendship and would very much prefer it to simply stay as such. I have no idea how to deal with this situation. I can't pretend I didn't listen to the song, 
Oh, I can pretend I didn't listen to the song and I could just play dumb and deflect, but neither of those seem like wise options. I also don't want to say something about her having feelings for me and have that go south in the many ways it could. Please help. I'm hopeless here. Signed, Just Friends on Monteith Avenue. Wow. What's awkward about this is, uh, well, obviously he can't pretend he didn't hear the song. <laughs> but <laughs> He but, wishes he could, I guess. Right. It's like you're, there's a friendship and sometimes friendships develop in that direction and sometimes they don't. And so if it's developing in that direction for her, like there's no reason that she is kind of, I don't know, like like not listening to signals that he's sending her. True. Yeah. I mean, we usually try not to rush into advice, but like, Something more direct needs to happen at some point, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, well, given that he, we're not going to encourage him to um, be open-minded about her romantic advances if if he's just totally shut off to that. So yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, so I guess the real question is how is he how is he supposed to um, maintain? Uh, well, I, in his ideal situation i imagine he wants to he wants things to go back to the way they were he wants to maintain that friendship that Mm -hmm. he really values um but obviously there is a risk that he is going to lose that friendship Mm. that's you know and she she in making this advance is is taking that risk Mm -hmm. you know i although I, i suppose again it's on her it's really up to her to decide whether or not she wants to remain friends with him after he makes it clear he doesn't want to get it on, right? Yeah, I'm just tr- I'm thinking through. I have certainly made the mistake of um, getting together with someone who is I was not so interested in, and so I would encourage him not to do that, <laughs> um, just because it's an available relationship. Well, it's funny that can be sometimes like the lazy option is just to say yes when somebody asks you it's out. It's more <laughs> yeah, that's why I want it. Like you can do that, and I don't think I think that uh, that really wrecks things. Yeah, that's and, good advice. And you'll feel it's very like you don't feel good about yourself at all. Then you actually are an asshole. Like I think right yeah. now he's done nothing wrong and he's being very thoughtful. But then yeah. when you do that, even if it's out of like a kind of apathy then you're manipulating somebody yeah. or you're leading them on or you're playing with their feelings. Yeah, yeah. it's not good. Don't do that. Um, and then, uh, what was it? But it is very uncomfortable to have this conversation of like, I don't want, I just want this to be a friendship or something like that. But I think that's probably what you need to do in some way or like at least a, like a tentative like, Tell me about this song. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> the drums are cool. I just really like the way the drums are produced. Yeah, she's like the rec- the way they recorded the drums. Is brilliant. <laughs> well, it's f- we we whenever we get a question like this, we always we always go through like an evolution of like we first try we could like you avoid ourselves into pretzels trying to figure out like. Is there a way with some dignity to avoid being totally direct? <laughs> like, is there a way to squirm out of it with some, you know, integrity intact? Um, and usually we find that the answer to that is no. But, but let's just for the sake of playing this game, yeah. um, what, what, what is the like way to squirm out with the most integrity intact possible? You, what do you think? You pretend like you didn't like you take it at face value she just sent me a song but like it could be for a number of reasons and uh you don't engage which i it's not a bad that's not a bad choice um because um because she's not pushing it any further than just a song you don't do anything and you wait until she says something more or not yeah you know and and maybe you pay attention to are things the problem with that is it's like once this has been uncorked a bit like how is it not going to be awkward mm-hmm. he's going to be thinking about this every time they're together 
in some way, right? I would find that a little hard to put out of my mind. Do you guys have any impulse to to kind of second guess his assertion that he's not interested at all? Yeah, that crossed my mind too. What do you think about that? I mean, it doesn't feel fair to me to do it because he's not here to yeah. defend it. But also, I just feel like there's something, I don't know if it's in his letter or just in me, that wonders like why he, he insists so much that she's not, not interesting. I think, yeah, I think that's a good, I mean, it's complicated. It's complicated. Like, um, I don't know what, like if you're straight and you have friendships with someone of the opposite gender, like there's always like a little bit of, you're always kind of like on that line, like even friendly flirtation sort of invites something. It's confusing, you know? Yeah. Um, and obviously there are things about this person that are attractive to him. Otherwise, why wouldn't he be friends? Right. So it's reasonable to wonder about that. Yeah. And and just the last thing is like, let's say he's reading into this song. Well, then to me that says there's something inside of him that's like conveying it would be nice if you were interested in him. I mean, I'll join you guys on this rabbit hole for a second. <laughs> uh, uh, I'll be the third rabbit in this hole. <laughs> uh, um, I think... I think, and again, after we go down this thought experiment, I think we should try to take him at face value that that yeah. that he's not inter- that he truly is not interested. But but one thing I think about sometimes is like in these kinds of dynamics, it's like okay, you have a great connection, you love hanging out with this person. They're both nineteen. I assume that 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 they may be in college, in which case they're probably hanging out all the time because you have infinite free time in yeah. college to hang out with your bro all the your or your whatever they your, can your girl all the time, <laughs> and. Uh, and I wonder if if it's just that like he thinks he's not attracted to her physically. Mm-hmm. And and if that's the case, I would just say that um sometimes you can become attracted to somebody physically if you love their personality enough. And you kinda and I think women are much and the only reason I'm bringing this up is because I think women are much better about being open-minded about who, what, what they is fi- attractive. what they find attractive yeah. physically because they really like all the other aspects. Whereas I think a lot of men, Navi and I've talked about this before, like when we were younger and in high school, like sometimes we would, we would like a girl, but we wouldn't go out with her because we were afraid our male friends would be like, Oh, she's not hot enough, man. Mm-hmm. You know? So just throwing that out there, try to, if, if, if you do in fact, kind of feel some romantic feelings but for whatever reason you're telling yourself you're not attracted like you know i could never go in that direction i don't know maybe stay a little bit open-minded and see how it feels because you might change your your feelings about her attractiveness yeah should we get out of the rabbit hole sure (laughs) because if we take him at face value i'm just rereading this now he says you know uh it feels like a very healthy dynamic that we have um he just seems sort of proud about their friendship and that's nice and that's it's good to have a good friend you know um, I don't know, Andrew, what do you, what do you think in here? Uh, to tell, uh, what's the, what does he call himself? Uh, just friends on Monteith Avenue. Where's Monteith Avenue? I don't know. Cause that's important. We need to find out. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean like my general philosophy is that communication is king, you know, and you gotta be clear with people and that like, you know, there is a good imperative to protect people's feelings, but I think ultimately it's important to be clear about where you're coming from. And, you know, so I think if it were me, I would, you know, test the status quo, see if it felt sustainable. Like if we're just like, okay, I'm just going to like, 
we'll hang out and if she doesn't ever bring up the song and our friendship is going along the way it seems to be then fine keep going but then if it if it gets awkward the way that it seems like you both agree it probably will become then maybe i'll say like what was up with that song that you sent me um and like i mean that feels a little hard because then it like forces her to you know you're like setting her up to knock her down a little bit mm, i guess mm-hmm. which i would want to avoid but um but yeah i don't think that you're doing her i mean even though that feels painful and scary i don't think you're doing her any favors just like ignoring it and like leading her on if it is leading her on to to keep doing that so i would say baby steps towards clarity mm-hmm. so like not just like don't just like tear the roof off and say like are you into me because I'm not into you? So forget, obviously like that's horrible, but like to not shy away from it either. And to like take gradual steps towards saying either like, it seems like there's something in the air that we need to clear between us. And I just want to make sure that we both kind of are understanding what's happening here. Yeah. Or, or again, like in a in like the easiest best case scenario for our friend here, it would be that like the status quo could sort of magically remain but it sounds like he's writing the letter because it's already not Avi, i'm curious like i'm gonna lean on you as the therapist here to sure. fit, to i mean <clears throat> if if it's the case i'm just speculating i think with with a decent amount of anecdotal evidence from myself and from all of my friends who have dealt with situations like this if it is the case that it's purely an issue of he's just not physically attracted because it sounds like Otherwise, they have a great connection, mm-hmm. right? Um, that is a that is just, I imagine, kind of impossibly bad news to hear that somebody thinks you're not uh, attractive. And I wonder, like, how? Because there's no gloss on that news. I mean, I guess, I yeah. guess it's it, we we we've had examples of this in the past where it's like, it's not it's not that you're objectively bad. It's just, it's, you're not my cup of tea or whatever, yeah. but even that always feels a little bit. It, of course it doesn't. Good. Yeah. It doesn't feel good. And that's, that's you, okay. Well, how do you, but how do you deliver bad uh, news you, about, about something like that? Is there a way to do it without being hurtful or do we just have to accept that, that no, you're going to be hurtful? I think it hurts. I mean, you can be kind about it. Like, the, so how do you be kind? How, what's the kind way to be hurtful? Kind, um, <laughs> I mean, is it, is it unkind to be like, you know, I'm just not, I'm not attracted to, like, I really just appreciate our friendship. I just don't see our relationship in that way. You know, with, I would probably steer clear of it being a looks thing in particular, because it's just plays on people's deepest insecurities. So I guess, right. He shouldn't say I'm not attracted to you. You would say I'm not really into making this different from the way it currently is. I think you're right that the, like the physical element is is part of that, like what distinguishes a friendship that works from like taking the next level, but there's more to it than that. Right. Like uh, regardless of, uh, of like if you're attracted to somebody or not, there are friends who you wouldn't want to like be romantically involved. That's very true. Mm -hmm. Yes. And I think you could, I mean, you know, you don't want to like frame it in a complicated way like that, but I think there's a way that you could communicate. Like, I just don't want to be in like, you know, the, the serious I want this to be romantic a thing. Yeah. yeah. Like I like being friends with you. And I would also, I think, first of all, I also just want to say like when I was 19, I didn't know how to do any of this stuff and I can barely communicate now despite being a therapist. So, <laughs> uh, so again, uh, kudos to this guy for trying to be an upstanding, honest friend. Um, also, I just think it's reasonable to expect this person to feel hurt and maybe, and your friendship could suffer for a while. 
no, it's very hard to just sort of like take this one on the chin and keep going. Like usually like people pull away, there's distance. I would accept that, right? People kind of just need to like kind of get over it in their own time before you can find your way back to being friends. I think that's normal. I do actually think this, this is a case in which he can, he can be non totally direct with dignity because she did not say, Hey, can we take this to the next level? She sent him a song. There is room for interpretation (laughs) in that song. Like, I think, I think he can for now as a first step, just simply respond and say, Hey, that was a cool song. I, I, you know, I like the drums as Andrew said or whatever. (laughs) And, um, and, 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 and then, and then it's up to her. It's up to her to be like, all right, well, clearly he's not getting it. If she then wants to take, to, to, to ramp up her strategy and be like, no, 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 this song was about you. I like you. Yeah. Then I think it's, that's, that's where he then has to be honest. But I don't, I think it's actually totally fine for him to play a little bit dumb about this. I agree. He has no incentive. You you don't want a relationship with her. Like, I think she's got to come out and say it, you know, like, yeah. Yeah. Do you feel like we, I feel like we actually gave legit advice. The only (laughs) thing I might add is like, if he, or let me ask you guys, if, if he really, really wants to stay friends with her, what can he, how can he make that, uh, clear he can't i mean unless he's doing something that he's not aware of that's leading her on you know that like that gave her the no i mean i mean if he really wants to remain friends with her like after he disappoints her being like i don't want to take this i think he's got to give her space to make sure she's okay you know and then just be like a good friend and and you know it's like i think like if this were the opposite if it was like a a guy who wanted to like go out with a woman, I think we would be like way more attentive to being like, look, some women just don't want to date you. You just got to deal with that, buddy. You can't expect women to, so like, um, the same is true in this way. Like, um, okay. She, she's interested, but like, it's not going to happen and that's okay. People want what they want and you don't have to apologize for it. You just have to be nice. To me, the most interesting thing about this question is the point at which protecting somebody's feelings, uh, like like protecting their feelings, like not wanting to have that awkward confrontation where you're like, I'm just not that into you, mm-hmm. uh, is like, you're actually, that's actually hurting them more, uh, to avoid that. Yeah. You know, like, and where does that switch? Cause there is, I think a moment at which it switches or it's hard to calibrate. Like at what point is it better to just get it over with? Is it always better to just sort of be confrontational? Cause I don't think so. I think there's no. like that low level thing where maybe the status quo will work or at a certain point it's better to just be open. And that is such a hard thing to feel. And it really, I don't think there's a rule about it. I really think it's more about like you're friends with this person, you know what it's, you know what they're like. You can tell sort of where they stand and at a certain point you're like, okay, I'm leading them on or like her life is going to be better if she knows this. And so I just need to tell her. I think like definitely one maybe signpost would be like if you find yourself maybe avoiding this friend because you can't deal with the awkwardness like that would be a sign that you need to have a more honest conversation like the more you're pulling away because it's just gotten too uncomfortable then like now you're now you're hurting them because yeah um that would be one way yeah all right i Um, think i think uh i think we we settled this one (laughs) good luck buddy (laughs) yeah hang in there let us know how it goes yeah um (laughs) Uh, so we, we usually, we always wrap up our show by asking our guest of honor to, um, share a piece of wisdom or advice that you have, uh, read, heard, 
been told at some point in your life that has stuck with you? Um, yeah, I think, uh, when you mentioned this to me in advance and thank you for giving me, I don't know if I'm like pulling back the curtain too much, <laughs> uh, but the, weirdly the first thing that came to mind was, was, it was a strange example. Like it didn't strike me as advice really, but back in that, that period where I had just dropped out of college that we met, that we talked about at the beginning, um, and I was a mess frequently in the way that I probably would have been a mess no matter what I was doing, just the way that you're a mess when you're like, uh, you know, 23, 24, living out in the, the big city, uh-huh. uh, you know, and a mess sort of like romantically, professionally, physically, like, just like sort of beside myself with like the way that your own personal drama can just feel like, you know, a six season HBO uh, <laughs> prestige, yeah. you know, melodrama. And I had a, I, he's still one of my best friends, uh, you know, who I, uh, he was a g- good friend, but also I looked up to him a lot as somebody who just like was really, really smart. And in these moments he would say to me, you know, I'd say, I would share with him like X, Y, Z is going on. The, the palace is burning, et cetera. I don't think I can do this. And he would just say, pull yourself together, man. <laughs> and it was like total tough love. And I remember like maybe the first time he said it, I was just like, fuck you. Like what I wanted was. <laughs> you know, like snuggles and comfort. You should have called Avi for that. (laughs) (laughs) But then like, and he said it to me like over the years, you know, we're still friends. We've been friends for, you know, for 15 years now. But uh, I really like it because in a way it's like a reminder that you can pull yourself together. And that like, because in those melodramatic moments, it does feel like the world is happening to you. Yeah. And like she did this and it's just like, it's all being acted upon me, but like pull yourself together is like, Oh yeah. A lot of this, in fact, maybe most of it is just like, I've created it for myself and to pull myself together is, um, is like an option. And then it's, it's sort of, and the more I thought about this advice, you know, I'm, I'm going to therapy now and it feels in some ways like contradictory to that because like therapy to me feels like pull yourself apart. Like, yeah. Like unwind yourself. I'm trying to like not, not like buckle down and like get my shit together. I mean, the odds, the ultimate goal, but like the way to do that, I'm realizing and it's painful and hard to do is to like actually allow myself to fall apart so mm-hmm. that I can be like, Oh yeah, there's like that thing. Um, so what, what, when is your book uh, slated? If that doesn't give you too much anxiety, talk it's about when due, is it gonna I have out? to finish it by September, 2021. So okay. I've got, I've got a little less than two years. Do you to have write a working it. title or, um, there's an H.G. Wells story uh, called The Country of the Blind that's about uh, this like explorer who is a mountain climber and then he like gets separated from his expedition and finds this like lost civilization of that's like for generations been living as blind people. And I like that title, The Country of the Blind, as like sort of what I'm doing. Like I'm sort of making my way into this this new undiscovered place. And if you could just give give just like a two sentence sneak preview of, cause you've, you've mentioned the book a few times. Like yeah. what, what is it going, how, what's your elevator pitch of what it is? TBD. <laughs> just, uh, just kidding. Uh, my elevator pitch is like a combination of personal narrative. So like basically what my experience uh, has been and what it is over the course of writing it combined with, with journalism where I'm going to go out into the country of the blind and talk to blind activists and blind writers and blind everything and just sort of understand the kind of social, political, cultural life of blindness and uh, disability in the U S right now. And so, and then there's like a critical component to it too, where I'm like watching 
movies looking for like representations of blindness and like reading books and, and thinking just about the way that people understand blindness from outside and also from the inside. Um, any, any other places people can find your stuff and your work? Um, I should probably update my website. Uh, Are you on social media? Or? Yeah, I have a very difficult to find Twitter profile. <laughs> it's, uh, it's quailty, <laughs> which is like a misspelled quality or like quilty with an A. It's like, well, I don't know why the fuck I did that? You can never <laughs> find it. If you just Google me, probably something will happen. <laughs> and, and if you want to listen to the podcast, Andrew Start, it's called The Organist. You can many, find many it episodes, wherever yeah. your podcasts are. Yeah. But uh, thanks so much. Thanks. Awesome. This is fun. All right, that's it for our show this week. Thanks, everyone, for listening. If you have a question that you want some advice on, please email us at heymanpod at gmail.com. Or better yet, give us a call, 917-426-4326, and leave us a voicemail. All questions, if they make it on the show, are anonymous. No need to worry. Uh, You can follow us on Instagram or Twitter at HeyManPod. And if you have a moment, give us a review, Apple Podcasts, or wherever else you get your podcasts. And better yet, click subscribe. Thanks so much. Have a great week. Peace.